Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 440. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and always educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. My name is Stephen Fennick. Welcome back to the show. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, why Australia is in the slow lane when it comes to electric car adoption. News sites are back on Facebook, but what exactly have we agreed to? And Huawei has launched a new foldable smartphone. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out the affordable Oppo A53s smartphone. We'll hit the road with the Under Armour Connected Shoes. And Canon has released its new compact camera that's ideal for content creators. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, I am an electric car driver, as you probably already know. I've had an electric car, uh, a Tesla Model S. I've had that for ooh, coming up to three years this year. So I've been, I'm a very, very early adopter when it comes to electric cars. But unfortunately, we can't say the same for Australia when compared to other countries around the world. Electric car adoption we are way, way behind. There was some stats, some research put together by a car rental comparison site and they came up with some very interesting stats and what they did, they took into account sales per capita, things like investment in infrastructure, the number of charging points, EVs per charging station, all of that. They mixed all of that together, aggregated all that that information and came up with a top 10 of the countries with the highest EV adoption. And uh, some surprising results in there. Number Top of the list was the Netherlands, which has a population of 17.28 million people. Uh, they've sold more, like nearly 300,000 EVs just in the last year. And they, they top the list because when you compare all those stats per capita, all that information, the, the Netherlands came out on top. And there's also, it's, it's no coincidence that number two and three are also Scandinavian countries. So number one's Netherlands, number two's Norway, number three, Sweden. So that part of the world, there are pretty pretty heavy government incentives to own an electric car, lots of infrastructure. I think sort of the culture of those countries are very, I think, very forward thinking in terms of uh, protecting the environment and being uh, having less less emissions, and they, that's that's why they're at the top of this list. Coming in at number four was France. Uh, some France, I, I was in Paris a couple of years ago. And I did notice that there were a lot of charges on the street. What what appeared to look like 
they, they would like look like parking meters were actually not only were they parking meters but they were also charges as well so anywhere you parked on the street in in most parts of Paris that I saw and I'd expect a lot a lot lot of France as well there were these street charging stations where you could simply park by the side of the road and have access to an electric ch- electric charger. China was the top Asian country. They're, they're very big on electric cars. Their, their electric car adoption uh, is pretty high. Uh, coming in at six was Germany. So they've got a very prestigious car, car industry. And for them to be ranking so highly, they've embraced it as well. They're a big, big car country. So that EV is naturally going to be uh, – they, they see the writing on the wall that it's inevitable that electric cars are going to one day take over from fuel cars. When, that, when that's going to happen is, is up for debate. At number seven was Japan, uh, and eight, nine, and ten was the UK, Canada, and the US, respectively. So the, that's the top ten according to the stats. Now, Australia, nowhere to be seen in that top ten, unfortunately, and there's a few reasons behind that. I think, number one, you've got to consider Australia is a very big country, and everywhere, in whatever state you happen to be living in, you can drive for, for 10 hours and, and often still be in the same state. So this is this is an important factor for drivers, knowing that they have somewhere to refuel is very important. And the, the, the lack of infrastructure for EV drive for EV drivers here in Australia is is apparent, and a lot of these customers who who may want to make the leap, but are, are finding that where they live or the the journeys they have to tra- the, the travel each day and each week, maybe uh, it's not suited to them because there are no nearby charges. It's uh, it's definitely a consideration, one of the first considerations that anyone makes when buying an EV. From my point of view, when I bought my my Tesla. I installed a charger in my home, so I've got a Tesla charger. I've got three-phase power, which I've also got the, the, the power through my solar panels. I've got solar panels and a, and a storage battery, so I could always charge my car in my own driveway. But I do have access to Tesla's vast supercharger network, uh, destination charger network. So if I'm not at a supercharger, I can I can char- top up my car at a shopping center, car park hotels, all these places that offer uh, Tesla chargers. And Tesla have first mover advantage here. They've got a network of superchargers that only charge Tesla cars. There are a lot of charging stations that are that are suitable to all types of EVs. There, there's plugs that are very similar that work in, work in a range of electric cars. Uh, and, and cars often come with adapters as well, so that they, they can it can adapt its, uh, the, the plug to fit that car as well. But uh, in terms of Tesla, way out ahead uh, in terms of that uh, infrastructure, the, the the build of all these superchargers around the nation. That's why the US is in the top 10, because there are Tesla chargers everywhere. And in the US, unlike Australia, there are uh, there is a big population in the middle of the country. In the middle of Australia, it's just a desert. There's not many people live there. But in the middle of the US, uh, there, is, there are many cities. And hence the reason why you could go, drive from LA to New York and, and find a charger along your way. That's not a problem. You, you really can't say that about Australia. You can, along the eastern seaboard, you could. So if driving, you could drive from 
Queensland all the way down to Melbourne and, and, and access a Tesla supercharger. But if you try to go across the country, try to drive Sydney to Perth, that might be a little difficult. You might have to really plan out plan out your trip. The good thing about a Tesla, though, just uh, just on that, is that the car tells you. If you if I punch a, a, a Brisbane address in my car, uh, I'm, I'm here in Sydney, it'll tell me all the superchargers I've got to hit on along the way. So it does all that heavy lifting. It tells me where I've got to go to charge and for how long. So that's all sort of part of what you get with the car in, in the Tesla is that it tells you what you need to do. Other factors, though, against Australians adopting EVs, and it, it is, again, the lack of a, lack of incentive from the government. There aren't any, like, luxury car reduction tax, tax breaks. There are, it's not really, uh, apart from you saving a bit of money on fuel, there's no real incentive for you to spend extra money to get an electric car. And that, that's the situation, unfortunately, because uh, that's the other factor. Electric cars are still very expensive here. Uh, I recently reviewed, we spoke about it on the show a few weeks ago, the MG ZS SUV. Now, that's that's an, an affordable, a more affordable electric car. It's 43990 on the road. Nice-looking car, SUV, electric, fully electric, range of about 300 k's, I think, uh, and it was 43990 on the road. Now, for you to buy the exact car, the petrol version of that car, you're going to save $18,000. Exactly the same car, but you put fuel in it instead of plugging it into the wall. So that again, pe- people are thinking, why? Why would I pay eighteen grand on a, on the same car that just uses power electricity instead of fuel? So there's the disparity again. And in terms of the other brands like Tesla, the cheapest Tesla you can buy is a Model Three that it'll probably cost you cheapest Model 3s be 72000 and and change on the road. Uh, so that, that's pretty expensive as well. Model S, of course, is more expensive than that. But that's another factor. The, the, uh, the price of these cars, they're still very expensive. It's still very much an early adopters kind of domain. The percentage of new cars sold in 2020 that were electric, electric cars made up 0.6% of all new car sales in Australia last year, way, way, way behind. And you compare this to other countries that have like up to 8% in comparable countries. So 5% to up to 8% in comparable countries in terms of population as Australia, we are way behind. But uh, in in the near future, hopefully there's, there'll be some commitment to creating more infrastructure. The the, the states, some, some government uh, fleets, so have been, uh, they've agreed to swap out government fleets to electric vehicles in the in the coming in the next few years. Uh, I understand up to seventy two million dollars uh, has been between the states is going to be co invested in charging infrastructure. So a lot of things have to be in place before before this goes ahead. The other thing too, and probably this sort of goes back to the number of charging stations is range anxiety. A lot a lot of people they think, well, will this car have the range? The, my, my Tesla has a, a range of about just under five hundred kilometres, which means that I could drive from my home here in Sydney to the Central Coast, which is is, is like a, a ninety minute, almost like let, let's call it hour forty five drive and back again twice, I can do that trip. So I can drive for an hour, hour and 45 minutes and back, I can do that trip twice on one charge. Not many other cars can do that. Again, Tesla first move, first mover advantage, their battery technology and range is way superior to other electric cars. The MG I spoke about has 
I think just over half of my range on my car. So that's that's again that's what you pay for you the that, that extended range that the Teslas offer. But you know what, technology is improving, prices are coming down. It's like when the the first plasma TVs in two thousand were thirty thousand dollars. You can buy one. Or we can't buy plasma anymore, but you can buy a flat screen TV for for five hundred bucks. So you, you can see how prices change over the years as technology filters down to to the more the the more consumer level. So I'm pretty sure that. EVs will be it's inevitable more electric cars are going to be on the road how many are more in Australia is yet to be seen but I think we need to start the work now we need to get that infrastructure in place I think also people need to probably take a bit of responsibility in being able to charge at home being able to charge in your driveway is, is an important thing as well. So maybe having solar panels in, in the future, maybe to generate that extra power to charge a car, having having that incentive maybe even to do that in your home, which I think will be law. I think eventually if you're buying a new house, if you're building a new house, you have to have solar panels. I'd say that, that, that'll be law in the very near future just to uh, take the burden off the grid and also to cope with the extra demand from the growing fleet of electric cars we're going to see on the road. Well, hopefully our electric future is... Is going to look a little brighter at the moment. It's very much bogged down in the slow lane. If you want to read more about the EV adoption, you can see all those stats, some really good stats that they've been put together uh, by country. You see that uh, that leaderboard as well. Some great stats. If you want to check it out, head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Well, Facebook and Australia are friends again. Uh, and we re-recorded the show when we recorded the show last week. Uh, this the, the agreement to for news sites to be reinstated hadn't been made. I think it was the day after. It was, we recorded on Monday or Tuesday was that announcement. So timing was uh, was a little off there for me. But uh, we can now say that Australia and Facebook are back on the same page again. And that ban that saw news sites kicked off the platform. Is now has now been called off. Tech Guide, we're back. We're back on Facebook. It was good to see and interact with uh, our followers on Facebook. Good to share our stories there again, and just to get the conversation happening. That's what I like about Facebook, our Tech Guide Facebook community. And if you're not, if you're not uh, a, a part of it, please head over to Tech Guide, uh, our Tech Guide page on Facebook, and uh, and like and like the page, and you'll you'll see my you'll see my stories, and uh, we w- there's a lot of comments made on the story, so it's a really good interaction. I like I like to engage with with you guys there, what you say on your, with the comments, and uh, we normally have a really good discussion. Uh, that that's again one of the upsides of having Facebook back again is that uh, my I can share my stories now among the many people that follow Tech Guide on Facebook. A lot of my readers even share my stories from the site onto Facebook as well. So it's a great way to engage, great way to get more eyeballs onto the site. But what have we agreed to? Uh, Josh Frydenberg, I I call it the Battle of the Bergs. It was Josh Frydenberg and Mark Zuckerberg. So they were in intense negotiations for quite a while. And they didn't agree to make some clarifications to the code. So Australia did did give in a little to their demands in that area. So they have made some amendments to the bargaining code, uh, as as well. Facebook had to make some amendments in their position as well. That's why they made the agreement. But I think Australia's come out looking looking pretty good here. The the rest of the world sees this as a bit of a back down by Facebook. They they've they they definitely lost the PR battle during during that week of that that news blackout there was a lot of sympathy heading Australia's way Australia, Facebook was considered the the bully in this situation where just suddenly removing all that content we were the the we've got the attention
attention of the rest of the world, uh, there was a lot of backlash against Facebook. In fact, a lot of other countries are looking at our news media bargaining code and using a lot of that language in the, in our in our law, our what has now become law in their own laws and and regulations now moving forward. So we we were very much the test case. And, and other countries have no doubt they're taking notice of what's happened here. So expect this to be happening around the world for, with other major countries who want to have this this relationship with Facebook, with the, especially with the major news companies around the world. Uh, so Facebook, they they agreed that this is the best way forward was to to agree to the news media bargaining code, which then now has the framework for news companies and Facebook to negotiate. So this is the the agreement to the bargaining code wasn't just them paying out straight away it was them to agree to a framework to for those negotiations so that's up to the facebook and the individual news companies worst case scenario there could be a formal arbitration process if they can't agree within a couple of months if there's a mediation required the government may step in but there was some comments though not only from from our side, so Josh Frydenberg and, and Paul Fletcher, the Minister for Communications, they were heavily involved in all of this. But there was there were comments from Facebook as well, and uh, the Australian uh, Facebook and Australian New Zealand Managing Director for Facebook, William Easton, he released a statement basically saying that they were pleased to reach an agreement with the government, and they've consistently supported the framework that would encourage innovation and collaboration between online platforms and publishers. But Campbell Brown, Facebook's VP of Global News Partnerships, also tendered a statement and said that Facebook wouldn't be the subject, wouldn't be subject to forced negotiation in the future. Uh, the, the Campbell Brown, I understand Campbell Brown is a woman too, so I don't want to. I'm pretty sure it's a she, so I don't want to get that wrong. But uh, the comments, the comments included, I'll read them. After further discussions with the Australian government, we have come to an agreement that will allow us to support the publishers we choose to, including small and local publishers. Going forward, the government has clarified we will retain the ability to decide if news appears on Facebook so that we won't automatically be subject to a forced negotiation. So reading that, it sounds like Facebook still has the ability to pull out, to decide if news appears on on the platform if they're not happy with how things are panning out in terms of the negotiations. So... The, the framework is there. If they're not happy with the result, to me, that reads that we could pull the pin again if we're not happy. So I think we, we're friends for now. Hopefully, we'll always be friends. But there is that possibility that Facebook could do this again. I've been asked of, of all the many interviews I did on the radio and on TV, the question kept coming up, can Facebook be trusted after this? And my answer to that was, well, you'd hope so, but you, you just never know. Like We never knew that, that they were going to pull this. They're going to pull all the news and what the result, the, the fallout for that was that all these other pages were taken offline as well, off, off Facebook as well. But we, we just don't know. We, never, we didn't know that that was coming as suddenly as it did. They, did. they did talk about it, but we never knew that that was going to be the day. February 18 was going to be the day. So... With the, the, moving forward, yes, we've got a, we've got an agreement. We've got this news media bargaining cone between us. But according to them, and this is their head of head of global news partnerships, they can 
that it'll it'll be they'll retain the ability to decide if news appears on Facebook. So hopefully this is over, but that to me says that that's their that might be their their little backdoor clause to the whole thing. Hopefully it won't come to that. I'm really happy that we're back on Facebook and that people can share news and read news and and share tech guide news, especially on on Facebook as well. And again, if you're not part of our community, please head over and like and follow the page. A lot of we also have a lot of great competitions too, which you'll see if you are a member of the page. To read more about the Facebook agreements, where there's a couple of stories that you can read at techguide.com.au. Now, there's news that Huawei has just unveiled a new foldable smartphone. The Mate X2 was unveiled at an event last week. Uh, and funny enough, I found this, uh, there was no press release, there were no Australian contact about this. This was just out there on the internet. It was the buzz that was out there was that, that, that Huawei has released this new foldable smartphone. But uh, it's called the Mate X2. But what what really surprised me about it was how much it's now like the Galaxy Z Fold smartphone. The the Z Fold Two is the latest version, and we're expecting Z Fold Three this year. So you can imagine the third generation of a product like that from Samsung is going to be something pretty special. But I want I want you to cast your mind back a couple of years ago, because Huawei. When they released the Mate XS, no, the Mate X, it was called in in 2019. This was I was in Barcelona, and the Huawei, the major announcement from Huawei was this new Mate X foldable smartphone, and it it was it was in your hand. There was a six inch screen, and then you unfold, you sort of flatten out the device, and then you've suddenly got this this eight inch screen, and it was. Absolutely amazing. The the I, I shared a really short video. I had managed to get it in my hand. I was one of the first people to get a video of it in my hand, like a hands-on look at it. And that video had like half a million views on YouTube. It went crazy. Now you have to remember in 2019, so this was mid-February 2019, was just a few days after Samsung released the Galaxy Z, the Galaxy Fold, the very first fold in San Francisco. I remember I was in San Francisco for that event. The Fold was basically, they announced it, it was big news, here it is, but they didn't show it to anyone. There was no hands-on with it, no one touched it. We all just saw images of it up on the screen and on stage they showed it and that was it. I never got a chance to get my hands on it. That was the same year they released the Galaxy S10 phones. We got hands on that for as long as we wanted, but the Z Fold, we couldn't get near Fast forward four days later, and I went. I travelled straight from San Francisco to Barcelona for the the Mobile World Congress, where the Mate X was was unveil, unveiled, and it captured the world's attention. And so many people were commenting, saying, "Wow, this blows the Samsung fold out of the water." Now, a year later, Huawei released the Mate XS, which was the follow up. So it's like the second foldable phone. Still had the same design. And ba- the design was that basically the screen made up the outside of the phone. I, th- I did a review on Tech Guide. I also did a video review on YouTube. And I, and I was sent this phone to use as my daily driver. I had it for a couple of weeks. Had to send it back once because there's something happened to the screen. I had to get a new one. Uh, and, and the screen was the outside of the phone. So you hold it in your hand, 
you fold it in half and you look at the front of the phone. That, that looks like a phone. If you want the big screen, you sort of you press a button on the back of it and it pops open so you flatten it out so that it, 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 is, it gives you that larger screen. Now, Samsung were coming from having a separate screen on the front, open it up like a book, and there's your, there's your other screen inside. So it was two screens. Huawei's was basically one screen that you folded and then unfolded which I think at the time everyone thought, wow, that's amazing innovation. It was a bit sexier. The, the, the Galaxy Z Fold, the first version, was still a bit clunky and had a really small front screen and really paled in comparison to the Huawei phone. Now, fast forward to 2021, and Huawei has basically admitted that that old design is out the window I suspect because of durability issues, like having the outside of the device is basically the screen even when I had it for a couple of weeks, I did notice scratches and things appearing on the screen on the edges. So imagine using that for a year, what that would look like after intense use. So I think Huawei's move to the Mate X2, which is basically really close to the design of the Galaxy Z Fold 2, is I think an admission that the their previous design, while sexy and, and, and really interesting, really wasn't practical. That, that, that's why they decided to basically copy this head fold too. There are differences though. The, the, the Mate X2 folds flat. The Z Fold 2 still has that little wedge shape. So the, the hinge, there's a bit of space at the hinge. So with the, with the X, X2, it, is, it has that wedge shape. So when it's folded, it folds flat and it's still, it's still not too thick. Uh, as as using it as as a regular phone, so the front has a a six point five inch screen, six point four five inch screen. You open it up and there's an eight inch display. Uh, so looks looks really good. That the inside has no camera holes, no no camera, uh, no 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 notches, nothing. It's just pure eight inch screen, multitasking, all of that. The front has a little cutout for a twin face uh, twin selfie camera. The rear panel has the similar camera system to the the uh, the P40 Pro, so that's a four camera system on the on the back as well, uh, but they've they've basically similar design to what you saw with the Galaxy Z Fold 2, and I'm really looking forward to see what the Galaxy Z Fold 3 looks like. I'm sure it's going to be a massive improvement, but uh, really interesting move by Huawei. No word on whether it's even coming to Australia. No word on pricing. Uh, but it is there. It's it's going to be. It's going to have a uh, four thousand five hundred milliamp hour battery on board, fifty five watt fast charging, four colours: blue, pink, white, and black. Uh, but again, no word on whether, when, or whether if it, it will ever come to Australia. Yeah, if you want to check it out, there is some some images of the 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 Huawei Mate X two. Uh, and there is a link also to my video review from there as well, so you can see what the the Mate XS looked like, looks like, and uh, you can read our review and watch our review as well. But again, very similar to what we we've seen from from Samsung, Huawei. Uh, you know what's the saying? Uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So it's Huawei really flattering Samsung in this case. You want to read more about that story? You can check out the Huawei Mate X2 for yourself. You can head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. 
There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews this week, we have a smartphone, the Oppo A53s. Now, this is a it's it's not it's not quite entry; it's more mid. It's it's a sort of cross between entry level, mid tier. It's it's three hundred and forty nine bucks, so it's sort of in the middle of that price point. I, I consider like four nine nine to be more your mid tier, and like one nine nine and around that. 299 to be entry level. This is a little bit in the middle, 349 bucks. The A53S has a 6.5 inch display, has a really nice design, triple camera system, fast octa-core processor, and a huge 5,000 milliamp hour battery. They, to me, sound like flagship features. And you know what? A couple of years ago, two or three years ago, that would have been a flagship device. That's the beauty of this market, the mid the mid tier market, even the entry level market. The technology for that was introduced a couple of years ago are now part of these more affordable devices. And Oppo is is smack bang in the middle of that market. And the A53S is a great example of that. Uh, it is going to be a big year for phones, mid-tier phones especially. And this is really keeping the big brands honest as well, I reckon, because companies like Samsung and Apple really have to innovate and rely as much on innovation than on than on the strength of their name and their brand to bring to to expect customers to pay more than $1500 for their new devices it's really uh, for people are customers are becoming a little bit more discerning now i think and realizing that you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to buy a phone with all the features you need a good camera good battery good screen good design all there, and the A53 is a really good example. I remember when I, I used this for about a week as my daily driver to do my review, and I, I loved flashing it to people, asking, I said, look, I'm just reviewing this new phone, what do you think it's worth? And they'd take a look at it, put it in their hand, they'd see the quality of the screen and the design, and I had answers between 499 799 and that just proved right off the bat that that it does it does look look. Uh, much much nicer and, and has sort of exudes that quality uh, usually reserved for more expensive smartphones. So I thought uh, that that's a pretty good start, a good endorsement of Oppo's design. It, it does have that premium look. It's got a really nice glossy curved uh, back panel. The rear panel's also got the triple camera system that's in the top left corner and there's also a fingerprint reader on the back as well. Uh, the screen is really nice, a 6.5-inch Neo display and that has a 90 hertz refresh rate which is really smooth you'll notice it when you're watching your videos playing games 
Uh, it does smooth out that performance. Even when you're scrolling page to page for your apps, it, it does smooth a little clearer. Uh, the other thing on board too, uh, it's running, it is an Android phone, but it's running Oppo's own Color OS 7.2 operating system, which is basically, it's based on an Android 10 platform, uh, but it doesn't look like Android. That's what I like about Oppo phones. Their OS looks more like an iPhone OS. In fact, very, very similar. I'll, uh, I've got a photo of on my review of the the camera, the camera control page. So you know when you open the camera, you can choose between video, photo. So the camera, that page looks identical to what you find on an iPhone and uh, right down to the colors and everything. So it looks very similar. So great if you're coming from an iPhone, you're going to feel right at home. But uh, I think, again, Oppo maintaining color OS, that's their little point of difference. looks more like iPhone OS than an actual Android OS. Uh, under the hood is 4 gig of RAM, 128 gig onboard memory. There's dual SIM cards in this and room for a micro SD card too. So you can expand your memory and run two SIM cards from that also. Uh, has that octa-core processor, so really nice performance, very responsive. There were some times, I've got to say, it was a little, little non-responsive. I think after it was locked for a while, trying to get to that home screen took a, a couple of seconds more than I'd liked. That happened occasionally, not all the time, but it was a little frustrating sometimes when you're in a hurry to do something on the phone. Uh, the, other th- the other thing that we didn't like too, there was sometimes a little bit of a lag on the camera. Camera quality, by the way, really good. I'll talk about more of that in a minute, but there was a little bit of lag on the, on the shutter sometimes when you want to take your photo and it, it took a second or two to respond. But that happened uh, occasionally, not all the time. So not, not a deal breaker. Triple camera system is made up of a 13 megapixel main camera, two megapixel depth camera, and a two megapixel macro lens. And they all work together nicely produce some really crisp images, really nice colours. There's a there's a new Dazzle colour mode, so it brings really dynamic colours to your images, really pumps up the greens and the blues and all of that, so your photos look almost Photoshopped straight out of the camera. There's some some examples of, uh, naturally, there's photos of my dog, one of my Dalmatians, Logan, in there. It's a nice little close-up of him, so you can see the definition of the, the camera there. There's also portrait mode, as you'd expect, uh, and there's also, if you're into your selfies, there's the AI beautification mode. So it uses AI to smooth out your skin, sort of remove some blemishes and other imperfections, so you're looking your best in your selfies. The uh, Oppo A53s has some other cool features too. One I like, and parents I reckon will like this, there's a multi-user option. So you can set up a guest profile on your phone, and that restricts the space uh, that they have and keeps your data private. So I, I see this as an ideal thing for a parent to maybe, if they ever want to hand their phone off to their child, uh, so they can use the device without interfering with their own apps and files and things. That That's a, a nice feature. On the battery side, 5,000 milliamp hours. That's a lot. It's like two days worth of battery. I, I When I was using this every day, I was easily getting through a day and a half before I, I could have, if I pushed it, could have got through, I reckon, to the evening of the second day. Uh, so no, no dramas with the battery there. And it does have 18 watt fast charging. So you can top up the battery quickly if you do see if you need to go out or anything or and you're running low or just do the full recharge pretty fast to do that as well uh so uh in terms of camera big tick 
design, really nice, uh, great, great uh, performance in terms of responsiveness. Screen quality is fantastic. Design's really good. Uh, and for the price, like $349, uh, I think you can't go wrong here. It's available in two colours, fancy blue and electric black. You can buy it from JB Hi-Fi. Uh, and you can see our review, of course, on Tech Guide. There's photos of, of the phone. And uh, it does look high quality, I've got to say. 349 bucks if you're after a, a device that does does most of the things you want. Uh, it, you know, the things it can't do, obviously, it, for its price, it can't do things like shoot 4K video. That's kind of more a flagship feature. Uh, the, the quality of the camera is, is not as good, of obviously, as some of the flagships. Like flagship phones, you're getting like 108 megapixel, 48 megapixel, 64 megapixel. Uh, here you're getting 13, but you're still getting good images, really good images that are good enough to share. Video is good enough to share on social media as well. So it really, really does everything you need. Running Android uh, as well. So all all your favorite apps you, you can access as well. So all all in, I think a pretty good pretty good deal. Three hundred forty nine bucks. The Oppo A fifty three S. And if you want to read more, check it out at techguide.com.au. Well, next up, we're talking about a pair of shoes, and not any old shoes. These are the Under Armour, the Hover Machina. These are running shoes that are connected devices. They're they're uh, they connect to your to your smartphone, connect to the uh, the Map My Run app, which means that they can access data and deliver data. That is pure gold for runners. Like yes, we can we can track our our average pace and our heart rate and all these things. But if you want to go even further into into that, you want to sort of go right in depth. There is the the Under Armour Hover Machina Two, and there's a range of these shoes. These can give you literally at the ground level this this other information uh, that you just can't get any other way. And I'm talking about things like cadence, your stride length, the ground contact time, foot strike angle. The, these are bits of information designed to make you a better runner and, and by becoming a better runner, you're becoming actually you're becoming a more efficient runner. So doing that, improving that, means you can cover, you can set better times and and cover cover more ground. So it, it is it is all about becoming about your efficiency as a runner. And this is valuable information if you're a serious semi pro or even a professional runner. That information you can't gather anywhere else. Interestingly, I've, I've reviewed lots of fitness devices, but it was it was really funny having that notification on my phone that my shoe was ready to connect and that my shoe was connected and that I had a, an, a firmware update for my shoe as well. The sensor's in, in, in the right shoe as well, so it's, it tells you to keep your phone near your right shoe as well when it's, when it's pairing. But uh, when you get that notification that your shoes are connected, uh, it, it, it is a really uh, it is different. But uh, again, you're getting that information and it's all graphed and mapped for you. you the, the Map My Run app 
has uh, re- really great great features, very detailed. It has a map of your run. It's called Map My Run, so it does that. So it gives you – you can save your runs and compare your cadence and all these things between uh, between your runs and your walks. If you want to use it walking, you can do that as well. Uh, so it, it, it has all that – can can power, be used with your Apple Watch as well. So if you, if you just want to take your Apple Watch, you can see what's happening on your Apple Watch. Uh, and then when you get back home, say you don't want – you say you want to go for a run with nothing no watch just you and, and and your shoes you can do that and and when you get back home the phone will connect to your to the app the phone will connect to the shoe and then upload all that information to the app so you don't have to always have the phone with you because i think professional runners don't run with phones in their hands so you can run without the shoe without the phone and then when you're back and the f- shoe connects to your phone all that information is uploaded as well. Uh, these shoes, they're about 220 bucks, which is about the price of a good pair of Nikes you know, or other, other sort of quality shoes like Adidas and, and all those other brands, Asics as well. So they're uh, no, no, no more expensive than those. There's a range of them available from Rebel Sport and Under Armour, their own website. I've created links to both of those places on Tech Guide, and you can see they're my feet, by the way, in the uh, in the uh, <laughs> the main picture, and uh, well, just to prove that I did use them, and uh, you can see them. There's also the other shots as well without my feet in them, but. Uh, really interesting little product. Under Armour, of course, big brand when it comes to fitness apparel, fitness uh, shoes, and now apps. The Map My Run is there. They own that 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 app as well. So smart move. They've they've really got that ecosystem working really nicely. You want to read more about the Under Armour Hover Machina Two and see my feet in these shoes? You can head over to TechGuide.com.au. Next up, we're talking about Canon's new EOS M50. Now, compact cameras are all the rage nowadays. I think there are a lot of people who like to capture quality video on the go, whether you're a content creator, whether you want to shoot some video for social media, whatever whatever you happen to be doing, whether you want to share it on YouTube, social media, having a small camera you can take anywhere makes it easier to capture your video. And we're talking the Canon EOS M50, which can shoot in 4K in both landscape or portrait mode. So if you've if you've been on TikTok and Instagram, they follow the shape of the phone. So that means that the the video is shot upright in portrait mode. So uh, it does. If you want to shoot content for TikTok and Instagram, the EOS M50 is down with that. It can do your portrait mode video or your landscape video. So it, however you adjust it, like a phone, you can shoot in landscape or portrait. It'll suit how you're holding the camera. You can make that adjustment. And the, the compact design means it's really easy to take with you anywhere. It's got the nice very angle flip-out screen. So you can actually flip it out to see if you want to film at another angle or flip out the screen to the side so you can see yourself, frame yourself up if you want to film yourself uh, out and about. Uh, you can also stream live to YouTube through the M50. So it's got HDMI output and Wi-Fi for professional-looking live streams, and that's made possible by the free Canon Canon EOS webcam utility software. That's part of the deal. You can also use the M50 to stream to Twitch 
or you can use it in your Zoom meetings and your video chats with your family and friends. If you want to have a better quality video than the little camera on your laptop, the M50 can step in there as well. And of course, there's Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on board, so it's easy to control the camera through your phone, but also really easy to share your photos and videos to your mobile device. Say you shoot a nice video on the Canon, on the M50, you can shoot it over to your phone and then have it up on social media within seconds thanks to that Wi-Fi and or Bluetooth connection. There's also a 3.5mm microphone input. There are mics on board, but if you want that real sort of video, professional video sound quality, then uh, you can add a, a, a microphone through the 3.5mm input on the side of the camera. So you get uh, good sounding, good audio, so it look, sounds as good as it looks. The M50 can shoot 24.1 megapixel. That's the size of the APS-C sensor and up to 4K quality. Uh, and you can also shoot still images in RAW, so RAW format allows uh it creates opens up more editing possibilities when you have a big file like that to edit as well so really handy it's a 1199 bucks that's uh that's the single lens kit comes with an efm 15 to 45 millimeter lens uh, and you can swap it out 1199 bucks it is also supported by canon's five-year warranty if it's purchased from an authorized canon australia reseller five-year warranty that's a really good deal canon have had that for a while actually five-year warranty so if you want to check that out if you are a bit of a content creator you want to be creative uh, on the move you might want to share some higher quality video or stills for your social media you can do that as well i think the dedicated camera market is still alive and well because the quality of the video you can get from from these cameras uh is really is really impressive so i think uh, a product like the eos m50 if you are a content creator you want to share to youtube or to the, any of those uh, live streaming platforms you can certainly do that with the canon canon eos m50 check it out techguide.com.au this is tech guide with stephen fennec the tech guide podcast is proudly supported by netgear they're australia's number one wi-fi brand is your wi-fi struggling to keep up with your streaming work gaming video calling and more and what happens if you're doing all of that at once when you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our good mates at Belkin. If you're after cables, speakers, batteries to charge your device on the go, they have you covered, belkin.com forward slash au. I uh, had an interesting email from uh, a reader asking about what's the best way to set up a flight sim Asking for a friend. I think uh, he probably wanted this information before he broke the news to his wife that he's going to spend all this money. But the flight sim is one of those things, Microsoft flight simulator, very famous flight simulator. It's one of those uh, those bits of software 
that are that is so detailed and so like fans love this software because it, because it's like a whole community of people who use Microsoft Flight Simulator. I think there's a lot of frustrated pilots out there or wannabe pilots out there who just love the detail and the experience that it brings. And like a lot of detail games like this, there are ways you can do it. You can just play with a normal controller in your hand if you want, but there are a lot of really dedicated fans of the Microsoft Flight Simulator who go above and beyond to create as near a in-flight experience as possible. And I'm talking starting from joystick setup. So you've got like a throttle and a joystick. Uh, I've even seen people set up proper seats with movement and, and a proper controls like they're on a plane. So if you really want to, if you really want to get involved, you'll need a, a really high-powered computer You'll also, or, or or a gaming console. So you're talking Xbox Series, uh, Xbox One uh, X, or you also the the uh, PlayStation Five, or a really high spec PC. And I, I suspect the real diehards of the game are probably more your PC players because you do get better performance, uh, and that's something they can really spec up. Uh, and re- really uh, overclock the hell out of that, so they can get really good performance. But uh, I think it, the how long is a piece of string? The the computer itself probably can cost a couple of thousand bucks. Uh, all the controls aren't cheap either. If you want to really go down the line, you could be spending up to five to five to ten thousand dollars, depending on depending on how far you want to go. So, I think that's a very dangerous question to ask there. Like, what what's ideal for the setup? There's a minimum setup, which is pretty much just a controller in your hand. But uh, if you really want to go all out, you're looking at thousands of dollars. Uh, I did have another question from a reader asking about whether they could use uh, the app apps on a the, the the this reader had a Samsung Galaxy S10 phone and the identical phone from their employer and their question was can I install apps if I log into my Google account on my work phone can I download the apps and the answer is of course you can but you you can always log out of that Google account on your phone if you don't want any trace of your account on there but I also suggested the S10 has a dual SIM functionality. So my suggestion was to take the SIM card out of the work phone, put that into your own phone. So you've got, you can see your own calls coming in, your private calls and your work calls coming in and you're on your own phone. So you can have your Google Play Store how you want, but still be able to re- receive your work calls. That's the idea of having a work phone is just to receive calls. So that that's a, that's my suggestion is probably put the other SIM card in your own phone and then download as many apps as you want because it's your own phone you're using at the end of the day anyway. But uh, yeah, that's the best solution for the Samsung Galaxy S10, which did have, still does, I think you can still buy it, still has the dual SIM functionality. And that's it. That's full time. Uh, if that's our show for this week, everything we've spoken about, of course, you can see at our website, techguide.com.au. Check it out. And also join our Facebook page. We'd love to see a little bit of a kick up in our Facebook followers. And again, you'll be uh, you'll be uh, part of the, all the competitions we run. We do give away a lot of prizes on our Facebook uh, to our Facebook fans as well. So be part of that. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, info at techguide.com.au is the email address. Or you can click on the Ask Stephen icon 
icon on the right-hand side of the site. We want to give also a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Please support the brands that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thanks once again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. (laughs) 